We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good morning. Today is Wednesday, January 3rd, our first podcast of 2024. I am Scott Shera, Grace's dad, and this podcast is called Deprogramming with Grace's Dad because part of what God has taught me since Grace's murder is how programmed I was. And as I am deprogramming myself, I share what I'm learning through this podcast. So one of the responsibilities that I have learned I have is to wake others up because I'm waking up and we as a family stand on Genesis 50:20, which says for what you meant for evil, God meant for good, the saving of many lives, which is happening today. So physically, of course, that is talking about hospital murders and spiritually that's talking about Satan's role in this entire Uh, spiritual battle that we're in. And we're going to touch on both of those things today. Normally, I start with pictures and stories about grace, but I'm not going to do that today because I have somebody as a guest today who knows grace better than I do, or I did. So Don, can you bring in both Rebecca and Cindy, please? All right. So we have Grace's mom in the upper right-hand corner my wife, and then Rebecca Charles, Danielle's mom, who has been on before, and she has uh, really jumped into this fight with with, uh, with us and with other people who have lost loved ones. So what we're going to do first to introduce Rebecca's daughter, Danielle, is to play a clip that Rebecca put together, which is beautiful. And then uh, we'll have Rebecca just quickly comment on the clip, and then we'll play a a couple of clips that I put together of Cindy introducing Grace and where where things are at relative to Grace. So, Don, can you play the clip Rebecca put together first, please? You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. The other night, dear, as I lay sleeping, I dreamed I held you in my arms when I mistaken so I hung my head and cried you are my sunshine my only sunshine you make me happy when skies are gray you'll never know dear how much I love you Please don't take my sunshine away. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. 
Thanks, Rebecca, for putting that together. Great to see you again. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Rebe Rebecca's daughter, Danielle's last day on earth was Grace's first day in the hospital. It was October 6th of 2021. So just over two years, it doesn't make things any easier, that's for sure. Don, I'm going to have you play Cindy's clip then, and then we'll we'll start the program. Go ahead. Grace was um, phenomenal. She loved everyone and she loved everything. She was my best buddy. Uh, she went hunting with me. We got her a red convertible when she turned 18. Yeah, and it was just a joy. We'd get out on the highway and she would say, let her rip dad. <laughs> and so we, we would. We found out that uh, we were blessed with Grace having Down syndrome when she was born. Down syndrome is actually um, the presence of a third um, 21st chromosome, which she called her love chromosome because 
everybody that knows a child with Down syndrome, they just love unconditionally. Down syndrome did not stop Grace whatsoever. There wasn't a thing she she didn't do. She rode horse, she played violin. Uh, my wife, who's gifted in teaching, taught her how to read and write. The things that Grace taught me um, were really above and beyond whatever I taught her. I say thank you, thank you very much. Our life without Grace is very empty. We lost Grace, but we also lost, we lost our future with Grace. When Grace died, everything stopped. I miss everything about her. When nighttime comes, I struggle. I struggle a lot because she's not there. It cuts deep to your soul. And as a mom who's lost a child during this horrific evil agenda, I just, I plead to all you nurses, assistants to doctors, doctors that have been part of this, that put yourselves in our shoes. Walk in this horrific aftermath that we have to live through, where we don't have our daughter who was the the shining light that we had every day of our life. And they have that stuffed out because you are following evil protocols that you know clearly are not working. You're putting people in body bags day after day and it doesn't affect you. I don't think so. I pray that somehow your hearts are softened because right now I feel like your hearts are so hardened and you can't even see the evil that you're bringing upon this world and each individual family. Our daughter Grace, if you would have met her, if you would have tried to have met her, those of you who were taking care of her, you would have been blessed beyond your wildest dream. But you didn't. You didn't get to know her. And that's on you. But she was a gift to us. And to have that gift taken from us and for us to walk on in life without that gift. I'd like you to think about taking one of your own children out and living without that child and then having to go through their clothes, their shoes, their little projects that they left undone at the house. The years that you planned to be with them, the dreams that they had. To have them taken away from that person and then have them taken away from you. There's just no words to describe it. And so my heart just pleads to you as a, as a mom who lost a beautiful soul. Please, please help us stop this evil. No one deserves to die. There are things that work. And I just hope some, someone, some of you, you can come together as a group if you're so afraid to do it by yourself. Just come and explain what was going on behind doors and get this started on the right track so we can start to heal. There are too many people that have died, too many people that have to walk in life without a loved one. And you guys can start the, the healing process. I remember those both those interviews very well. Oh boy. So I want to just have titled today's program Mothers for Justice. 
And there's a reason for that is these two ladies three weeks ago together uh, in person in Florida on the Children's Health Defense bus and Polly Tomey interviewed them and she did a great job. And we're just gonna play the introduction to Polly's clip so that you can see these two together and then we'll get into to my question. So go ahead, Don, play that, that clip, please. Um, so it's really exciting to, uh, right now because we have mommies on and we've covered both of these children's stories. We've covered Grace extensively. Grace Dara, we've had Scott on a lot. Um, so we have, get that in focus. Remember, everyone knows Grace. Everybody knows her and her story. Well, there's her beautiful mom right there very bravely coming and sitting and talking to us. Have you done a, an interview yet? No, I haven't. Oh, it's wonderful to have you here on the bus. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And then, of course, everybody knows also that we did, if I get this in focus, just focus on in there, everyone knows that Danielle, we did her story and her picture already on the bus, and there's her beautiful mother as well. So both of you, tell everybody, you know, expand on what I just said. Well, uh, so that's why we have this program today is because after the two of them were on the bus, uh, we talked and decided, hey, let's do this and maybe we'll keep this going, which we'll talk about at, at the end. So before I ask you the first question, I told you off air what the first question is. What is the world missing now that each of your daughters is in heaven? So, Rebecca, I'm going to go with you first and then Cindy. But before we do that, Cindy, I'd like you to. So the title of this program is what cindy today mothers for mothers against what mothers for justice yes okay rebecca your turn what's the title of the program today mothers for justice all right so you notice there's two completely different ways to pronounce mother in that <laughs> <laughs> so cindy said mothers for justice and rebecca said mothers for justice and we've been we've been uh getting to know each other over the last few weeks and it's been a blast and rebecca puts up with my crazy sense of humor because i'm always poking her at her her uh way that she pronounces things so this is mothers for justice not mutters for justice all right rebecca <laughs> what <laughs> you did it to me <laughs> I promised you you weren't going to do that. <laughs> I thank you well, do it. <laughs> I, I give my humor away for no charge. All right. So, Rebecca, what is, what's the world missing now that Danielle well, is in heaven? Danielle is so similar to Grace. I mean, a pure soul. A child who loved everybody and didn't have any evil in her at all. I mean, Danielle, he would give Danielle time out and she'd be giggling outside. Like, when am I coming in? When am I coming in? You know, nothing, nothing fazed her. She woke up in the morning and she'll be laughing and singing. What's wrong, Danielle? What's funny? Oh, the dog is funny. I'm like, oh, can't you just be serious? You know, and it's just, just having this person who is just full of life and joy and just want to live and, and be happy and everything makes her happy. Everything. And she worked for 10 years in Sunrise Assisted Living, making the elderly happy by serving them breakfast and, and giving them teas. And some of the pictures there you saw in the video, you would see her there with some of the elderly patients. And she missed them. My gosh. When COVID happened, she did not want to, you know, she wanted to know why she couldn't go back to work. So there is an innocence and a pure pureness about these children, just pure, 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 pure love. 
pure love. And I miss that. I miss that deeply, deeply. Well, I think that's right on. You know, our society, unfortunately, classifies both the disabled and the elderly as useless eaters, non-contributing members of society. And mm -hmm. that's the excuse that they use to uh, to take people out way before COVID. Uh, this has been happening for a long time. All right, Cindy, same question to you. What What is the world missing because grace is gone? I agree with Rebecca. The big thing for me is this, the joy that um, our days were full of. When you have a child with Down syndrome, the love that they just shower you with and shower the people that they meet with it's gone and it's not that somebody else can't bring love in their place, but it's a different kind of love there. The love that they showered our family with um, and the people that they encountered, it's just indescribable. And when I think about how grace brought that joy and that love to not only our lives, but to the lives of those that she was involved with, I, I can't imagine what heaven is like because there's so much joy there now with just Grace and Danielle there. Yeah. Um, and yet we have that void here. And knowing what we know, where our two girls are not the only ones that had been taken out. So many other special kids had been taken out. And just to think that this this world is void of that right now, it just breaks my heart because so many families just like ours are missing that that beautiful person that could make us smile and bring the fun out of any serious situation because they they could look at every situation through God's eyes really not to have the worry they would look at it in such a pure way that you didn't see all the work. You saw the, the fun, the joy, the excitement about everything. And I think that is one of the biggest because without that, life is, is just very empty. Yeah, you know, from from the perspective of Satan's spiritual war, you sure see why he would want to take out the disabled first because they're the ones who are closest to God and you know, the elderly second, because they have the most wisdom. And, you know, the the thing that that both of you bring up is that our two daughters were only two of many. And we know the stats with COVID, but I mean, it's way beyond COVID. Just with COVID, there's 1.2 million hospital murders. But this has been going on since the early 1900s. And I'm going to start, Don's going to bring up a PowerPoint that has a number of medical records. We're gonna start with somebody else's medical record and just comment on it. And then we'll go through some of Danielle's and then some of Grace's because I want each of you to comment as to how do you know that each of your daughters was murdered? So you see what I put the title of this, these slides is hospitals are federally mandated killing fields and the hospital records provide the proof. So Don, can you go to the second slide, please? So this slide over on the right-hand side, these are medical records 
from a Down syndrome lady who lost her life in Connecticut. And you can see I clipped out on page 41 and 42 of her records that she was given midazolam, berconium bromide, and fentanyl. And then over on the left-hand side, you see that there was a letter written. It was actually written April 6th of 2020. And April 14th, there was a news report regarding that letter. And it was a group of doctors that requested that fentanyl, midazolam, verconium bromide, and raconium bromide were given to them in their various health, supposedly, care facilities. And where they were requesting these drugs from were from states who gave these drugs as death row meds for to end somebody's life when they by lethal injection. So that's literally what these drugs are meant to do is to end somebody's life. And these doctors pleaded with the states and said, we need these to help with COVID patients in a hospital. So you see, I have the question in America. So Rebecca, what is your reaction when you see this? You think this is actually true that this could happen in America? I know it's true now, 100%. Because you've gone through the records. Finally, finally, I went through the records um, with the help of a wonderful nurse. I, no one really helped before. And um, you want me to elaborate on it? I will in just a minute. Cindy, what is your, I mean, you're familiar with this story, very familiar. What is your reaction? I mean, to, to when you see this, I mean, people should just be in shock. Well, first of all, it just breaks my heart to think that doctors were asking for meds that were going to kill people. They knew what they were asking for. And then to actually use those meds to take out this, you know, this wonderful child. And now we know they did the same thing with Grace and Danielle. It just, it's beyond even comprehension to think that this would be even requested because why would a healthcare facility request drugs that are going to be combined to kill somebody when a hospital or a healthcare facility is supposed to be healing, is supposed to be doing whatever they can to save a life. And instead, what you see here are these drugs that were requested were actually intended to take somebody out because they were death row meds. Mm -hmm. And so when this mother had, had gotten these records and put those three meds in that her daughter got the last day, she was flabbergasted because they came up right away, end of life, death row meds. I can't even imagine what what that mom felt at that moment because it's like, what what have we come to that you weren't helping my child, but instead you were injecting her to take her out? When we realized that Grace was murdered, you know, that's a, that was a, a starting point of us really jumping in and me becoming a full-time researcher. And that's when we discovered this story, because as I was speaking out, this mom wrote to us from Connecticut. And then uh, we heard about Rebecca with Danielle's story and seeing both of those stories, both of these situations, most people are familiar with Grace's story because I've been speaking out for over two years, but both Rebecca's story with Danielle and this story that I have up on the screen are significantly worse than Grace's murder and significantly worse because you can see what happened without an advocate in the room. They completely milked the system. 
And they did it to the tune of 40 days in the hospital, millions of dollars that the hospitals, the respective hospitals made on death protocols designed to murder these individual ladies. It's hard to, it's just hard to grasp. All right, we're gonna, um, and by the way, this is still going on today. Uh, we just received an email yesterday and I'm not gonna give any details, but it was from a medical provider and just letting me know, so many people are following the story, just letting me know, Scott, this is still going on. That's why we keep speaking out. This is not over, it's going to continue. It's just, we've been lulled to sleep and not you and I, but the country's been lulled to sleep thinking, oh, COVID's over. Congress passed a law on April 10th last year that it's over. Well, it's not over and it's not about because there's an agenda. All right, we're gonna go to slide three. So this, this slide has a couple of records from Danielle's first day in the hospital. And Rebecca, I want you to, you can comment about these specific records, but now that you've seen the records in total, what is your reaction when you see what she was like her first day? Um, I, I was beyond, uh, beyond angry, beyond any feelings I had ever felt in my life, you know, came out when Betty was explaining me these records because I thought my daughter was sick. I could not look at the records for two years. And I thought there was a reason for Daniel to be admitted. And now finding out the truth, Daniel, all her lungs were clear. She had normal blood pressure, oxygen at 96%. Daniel had no reason to be admitted, but the doctor, Dr. Messelman, decided to play God and put a death sentence on Danielle. And that just was another death blow to me. I felt my daughter died again because they never said to me, Rebecca, she's normal, her lungs are clear, you could take her home with some, with some medication because we treated her at home. She got a Z-pack, she got high Ds, high Cs. I mean, Daniel has been always been very healthy. So this was just, and the other thing I noticed was that in her physical exam, the nurse explained to me, I said, how do you know she had COVID pneumonia? Well, the x-ray showed it. But what about the physical exam? I said, would you hear if she has pneumonia in a physical exam? She said, right. yes, Rebecca, you would hear ronca, you would hear wheezing. She hadn't, Daniel was clear. So the radiologist is also involved too in, in the killing field here. The radiologist is involved. Right. They called it COVID pneumonia because that pneumonia has that fear factor associated yeah. with it, but it had nothing. All it, all COVID pneumonia was, was mini clots in the lungs. I want to share this next slide. So slide four, Don, because the same thing happened with Grace. So these are right out of uh, Danielle's records and Grace's records. So you can see shortness of breath, that was in Danielle's records. Um, in Grace's records, it says the patient has shortness of breath at rest. Okay, so I have the title, Do, Do the Doctors Lie? Of course, they call out that Danielle had special needs, that Grace had Down syndrome. These are right in the initial reports. Uh, they said that, you know, e even though Grace had supposed shortness of breath, she was awake and alert, normal mood and behavior. And Rebecca, you just got done looking at Danielle's first day. I mean, everything was normal, oh. right? We had the exact same thing. So do these doctors lie? So Danielle or Rebecca, did Danielle have shortness of breath? No, no. She walked in. In fact, she argued with me that morning. She did not want to go to the hospital. I don't want to go. I don't want to go, you know, and 
and it's it's something that I live with every day that maybe I should have listened to my child because I never followed, you know, the typical route of the medical doctors. I was always on alternative. And uh, Danielle did not have any, Danielle walked into the hospital, she ate, she talked with them in her records. It showed that she was, she was talking, she was aware, she was alert. How could you have show? How can you write shortness of breath in her medical records? That's fraud. That's exactly right. Cindy, you and I, we we received Grace's records uh, a few days after we requested them, the third three weeks after she died. And, you know, you had made notes all over the place. Lie, lie, lie. What is your reaction to this? I'm horrified because it is all lies. Grace was never at all um, short of breath but they played that card that she was short of breath. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's all to justify, you know, it's to justify protocols to take people out and then they get financially rewarded for, for doing so. It's hard to grasp. Let's go to the next slide, Don. So this, this is a couple of clips of Danielle's last day on earth from the doctor's records. Uh, I picked these on purpose, as you can imagine, based on what's underlined. Um, but there's there's also uh, the organ donation issue. So, Rebecca, go ahead and comment on the, the slide, please. I was very upset when I saw that she was an organ donor because Daniel was never an organ donor. Um, there is something I will say that... They knew exactly when they were going to kill Danielle because Danielle did not die from COVID. Danielle died from heart failure and organ failure. Um, they, they were overdosing my daughter to the point where it damaged her, her heart and the ventilator damaged her heart. So Danielle blood count, her white blood count cells when she entered the hospital was 6,000. Her infection that she got from the catheter, from the from the central line, Danielle blood, white blood count went up to twenty four thousand. They knew exactly. They also overdosed her on IV uh, Tylenol and then gave the antidote to it to reverse the tox toxic overdose. Um, then the doctor said at nine ten, stop all paralytics. The day she's dying now, at nine ten. He decided to keep the ventilator and stop all sedative, all paralytics, all drugs. He never weaned her off. So she went into shock again. I mean, she was her, her blood was acidosis. It was full of carbon dioxide for three weeks and then never did anything to reverse that. Um, it's just, it's just shocking. Daniel last day, um, every organ was injured by the drugs. And I'll just say one thing, fentanyl, when you look up a fentanyl overdose, it's 22 to 24. Um, an autopsy of a fentanyl overdose would be 26 ml in the blood. Daniel fentanyl overdose in the autopsy report was 53 ml. So how did my daughter survive 40 days with even Presidex from the 20th of September to the 6th, when it was only supposed to be given for 24 hours, Daniel was on Presidex. 
propofol, midazolam, I mean, fentanyl. But the blood level of the fentanyl was at 53 ml, which is, I mean, I don't think I ever heard anything like this. I mean, these, these, these are not doctors. These are, I call them white coat assassins. And they need to be, their faces and their names need to be known all over the world who they are. I'm not going to hide it. This is just horrific. That's right yep, that's, that's right on. Um, people can't grasp what is going on here. So you think, why did they do this? And it shows you what's possible with how God made our bodies, that they can survive for 40 days. But that seems to be a magic number. There's a number of people who have been uh, in the hospital for 40 days because that seems to be when the maximum payout financially happens. We know a ventilator, the maximum payout is about 22 days. So how many days was um, Danielle on a ventilator, Rebecca? 22 days, 22 days. And they gave her Presidex wow. before she even went on the ventilator. And her heart was damaged within two weeks of Danielle being in the hospital so sometime when i was not allowed to come back in and i think it says here on the 9th of september it showed her right ventricle artery on the heart was damaged and when i came back in the doctor said to me oh the right side of her heart is damaged and i'm like what are you talking about my daughter have she, she nothing's wrong with her heart so i just blew it off thinking you know it's stupid you know like Danielle have such, so healthy. I mean, in all her, I have an extensive medical blood tests and workup we always do on Danielle twice a year and her doctor is there. And Danielle's never sick and she never had a heart condition. And in, in less than two weeks, they damaged the right side of her heart with the medication and with the ventilator. Wow. That's my, it's mind blowing to me to, you know, I know you have put together cause I, I've seen the records that you put together and you know, all 40 days it's, it's, I, it, we're going to talk about other people getting records at the end, but it's critical that we get anybody who's lost a loved one, get the record so you can piece this together because if we're going to be able to stand for justice, we need other people that have seen the exact same thing. Um, through going through the records. The records prove the murder. All right, we're going to just go to the next uh, slide here quickly, um, which is the autopsy report. Mm -hmm. So can you comment on the autopsy report? Uh, well, first of all, she was overdosed on the fentanyl. So it showed the toxicology report the autopsy report also showed that her lungs had um, pulmonary fibrosis. So her lungs was already like rubber. They were not functioning. And at that time, when the autopsy report showed two weeks before she died, that the lungs in that condition had to be two weeks. That's when the doctors told me they're going to put a tracheotomy in her and we will wake her up. So they already knew that her lungs was gone. So they were going to milk for more money. They yes milking for more money by telling me we're going to wake her up but never once did a doctor ever come to me and say mom your daughter is going to be okay she's going to go home with you i remember telling them that my birthday is on the ninth and i want danielle home on the ninth and maybe that's why they killed her on the sixth i mean it was just 
abuse of, of, of what they were doing because they never called a cardiologist in one month. Daniel was in the hospital where she had cardiac arrest. They wrote in the report, expect a cardiac episode, and they never consulted a cardiologist. They keep pumping her with all different drugs. So they, I remember the doctor who did the autopsy in the funeral home, he said to me, find a large law firm and I will testify. Well, sadly, no large law firm have ever even answered or taken my request to investigate my daughter murder. Yeah, well, this is, it's something that people really do not understand. I mean, I understand it way differently because we have a law firm, but it, people don't realize why aren't law firms taking on these cases. And the reason is, is because there's no money in them. This was all set up way before COVID to protect doctors. So you can't win a these cases because there's limitations in every state statute as to how much you can sue for. And so when those limitations are in place, attorneys don't want to take the cases because they can't get paid. So, I mean, that's it's frustrating. I mean, that's these these doctors have the ability to commit murder and get away with it and are protected by state statute. Cindy, Rebecca finished up saying that they had to list COVID-19 pneumonia on Danielle's death certificate because that's how they received the financial incentives. We're going to transition to a few of Grace's records and you're going to see really the same the same thing as as Danielle's story. So let's go to slide 7. Okay, you got slide 7 up. So you can see on slide 7, you know, they're calling out this is the COVID expert on the floor the second floor of St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Appleton, Wisconsin, and he wrote in his report October 7th, Grace's first day in the hospital that Grace would not be in the hospital if she'd been fully vaccinated. So you can see there's a bias right there with the COVID expert. And they called out Grace's vaccination status multiple times in the records. Let's go to slide eight. And Cindy, what I want you to comment about, this is the timeline of Grace's last day. And you know, you had the unique experience of walking out of the hospital and that's what that with the nurse who was there and she said something to you that really motivated this timeline and then we'll come back to that timeline so can you tell the story yes um sadly i wasn't allowed to go into the hospital the whole time grace was in there because i was sick with covid and i was told that i could not come in but the day that she died they had no problem with me walking through those doors i mean i I went through um, and met Jessica uh, along with our pastor who had come with me. Scott couldn't come in because he had COVID, but they didn't hesitate at all to let me walk through those doors. I mean, I just went right through, not at one question. And um, walking into the room and finding Grace gone was just horrific. But then when um, we left that room with Grace's body, with the undertakers that had come to meet us and we followed them out along with a cart with grace's belongings the nurse that took us down um, was pushing that cart and as we got outside and getting ready to be loaded back into our vehicle she knelt down by me and she said mrs shara 
I just want you to know that myself and several other nurses don't believe Grace should have died tonight. And when she said that, I knew something happened because how could Grace have been having such a great day? And our daughter Jessica said the night before she had oxygen saturations in the, you know, 98, the high, high 90s. And then the doctor calls us that morning and tells us, you know, let's get her some nutrition, you know, get her out of here. And all of a sudden she's gone that evening. I mean, it just, it was just not it, in my it, mind it, possible. Right. Exactly. It made, it makes no sense. And, you know, then what happened next, I went into a different, I personally went into a different hospital three days later, just about died on the 16th, but they turned me around in 24 hours, strangely, completely different, 180 degree difference from Grace in the hospital. Well, then Cindy and I, once I, I got out of the hospital four days later, we were sitting in the, in the Four Seasons room and one of the doctors who we know from high school got a hold of us and said said you guys should get the records um and so we did and we got the records within about four four days after requesting them enough of the records that we could piece together this timeline that's on the screen and this timeline shows that grace was given presidex lorazepam and morphine in a 29 minute window she had already been on presidex for four full days beforehand rebecca mentioned that the presidex package insert says to not be on that med for more than 24 hours because it causes acute respiratory failure and one of the medical malpractice nurses who reviewed grace's records said that they chemically restrained grace with presidex they did the same thing with danielle so that set up to them being able to add lorazepam and morphine to the mix in a 29-minute window, which is what you do to euthanize a hospice patient in their last hour of life. At that point, I mean, strangely, we thought this was an accident. So we sent the records, the reviewed records organized to the hospital requesting a meeting with the hospital CEO and the doctor. That's how naive we were at that point in time. This was November 8th of 2021. This is three weeks after Grace died. Well, on December 2nd of 2021, they wrote back to us and said, we're not going to meet with you. And that started the process of waking up. And, you know, it's been, it's been quite a journey since then. Let's go to Grace's death certificate, Don, slide nine. And you can see <clears throat> exactly what Rebecca and I were talking about and you see the first cause of death uh, from Presidex, acute respiratory failure. That's a direct cause and effect from Presidex. So they told the truth. And of course, it's a complete lie, COVID-19 pneumonia. So what is the real cause of death, Cindy, with relative to Grace? What killed her? It was those end-of-life meds. I mean, we know that those, those meds are what killed her. I'd like to see Holly McGinnis, the 14-plus-year ICU nurse inject herself with those meds. The same thing with Dr. Shokar to see how well, they would, how right, would that's they, right on. how would they um, come out because they knew exactly what they were doing. There's no question about it. And then right, what if I their defense, if their defense is the meds would not kill your daughter, I mean, then take them yourself. Let's prove it. Yes. Right. The one thing I, I thought about just as, as we were going over these meds, how clever these different hospitals were. Grace had lorazepam along with Presidix 
and morphine. The wonderful girl that died in Connecticut, it was quite similar. So instead of lorazepam, it was midazolam. Instead of morphine, it was fentanyl. And instead of um, Presidex, she got berconium bromide. So, I mean, they played these meds in such a way so that I don't, I think that they thought we would be stupid and nobody would pick up on it. But then you look at what they gave Danielle. I mean, so there was such a similarity, but yet it wasn't all exactly the same. And so I look at this as though the evil one had such a, such a plan of how he was thinking he was going to fool all of us. But yet God, God has opened our eyes and he's using all of us to shed light on this evil that was taking place. Yeah, well said. So the the certifying blow relative to grace is they still could have revived her. So let's go to the next slide. Right. And what we found out is what did they, why didn't they revive her? So what, can you tell that, that story about what happened, Cindy? How did we find out? And then what is, this was, this was the killing blow, the illegal do not resuscitate order. So go ahead. Well, as Jessica calls us, the day that Grace died, I mean, late in the day, she just lets us know that Grace's numbers are dropping. And Scott and I are both on FaceTime. And um, as, um, as Jessica's trying to get them to come in, your dad and I are saying, You'll get, you know, get somebody in there to help because we're watching her numbers drop and she needs assistance. And Jessica said she's been trying to get somebody in there, but nobody's coming in there. And she said there was about 30 plus nurses because it was shift change. And nobody's coming in and we're pleading for them to come in and help Grace. And I just I just said, are you not helping her because she has Down syndrome? What's going on? Why are you not coming in and helping her? And then they yelled that she's DNR. And we were like, she's not DNR. Help our daughter. And nobody still comes into that room. Not one person walks into that room. And then we have to we physically watch Grace die because these people were supposed to help Grace and help other people that are are there. They don't even help them, but they actually assist their death. They use this illegal do not resuscitate order as the excuse to not revive Grace. Well, of course, because they already knew this med combination was going to kill her. So they had to have the DNR order in place to prevent the nursing staff from coming in to, to revive her. You know, these are murders, and you know, we cannot shout this from the rooftop enough. I want to oh, do... Because it's still sure. happening. I mean, it's still happening. We know of just two people in Wisconsin, close to Appleton, Wisconsin, that were taken out just recently. It's like, I don't know how else to wake up even our own Down syndrome community. Yeah, I, they I don't, think... right? They don't want us to speak at their events. Uh, and it is, it's strange. I mean, the programming is so deep. Um, I want to I want to have each of you comment about slide 11. Slide 11 is what the doctors are supposed to follow. This is 
their code of ethics relative to informed consent. So it says specifically informed consent to medical treatment is fundamental in both ethics and law. Patients have the right to receive information and ask questions about recommended treatments so that they can make well-considered decisions about care. All right, so in both of our cases, you know, we were in the role of the patient, right? Because we're the power of attorneys. Rebecca, were you power of attorney for Danielle? I have, mm -hmm. I have been okay. Danielle Gavin since she was 18. So did you have conversations with the doctors at all where they were keeping you informed, asking you questions, and even after the fact, but they're supposed to do this before the fact. That's what's required, yeah. not just by their code of ethics, but if you look at the state statutes that relate to this code of ethics, you see that they have an obligation. So did, tell me about conversations you had with the doctors themselves. Uh, all they told me, they were going to admit her for COVID pneumonia, and that is what scared me. They never told me what drugs they were going to give her. And I was aware of COVID as being, you know, it's you know, not as real as they said it was. And um, it's a really bad cold. So when they use the word pneumonia, I said, well, pneumonia has been around forever and they would use the pneumonia medication. So I didn't question what medication they were giving her because I'm thinking pneumonia, people get over pneumonia. Pneumonia don't, you know. They treat you every day with pneumonia. And um, they never once told me they were putting her right there on, on remdesivir in the ice, in the emergency room. They started her on 10 rounds of remdesivir. And she didn't even have a never, fever. Never discussed oh, with you, right? Never discussed. Not, not one of these drugs, these EAU drugs were discussed with me or anything else. I mean, it was, they didn't want to talk to you. Really, they did not want to talk to you. They just came in and tell you what they're going to do. They did not want to talk to you. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I was with Grace for four of the days that she was in the hospital. And I mean, I saw the same thing. I mean, they, but, you know, we're blind to it because we trust the white coat. I don't trust the white coat anymore. So, I mean, I understand advocacy different now. I understand informed consent differently. You've got to demand that to protect yourself in the hospital. But you assume that they're, doing what's right. They have your best interest in mind. We've been lied to that they're taking the Hippocratic Oath. I mean, all lies upon lies. Uh, you know, when you you think about the details of what they did and each thing that they did to our respective daughters um, and, you know, zero concern. It's almost as if they're, um, they have no heart whatsoever, just no concern for life whatsoever. One thing now, we didn't just go to any hospital. This is a neighborhood hospital. And my neighbor who was affiliated with this hospital when he was younger called us in. So I thought we had special privileges. He called us in to make sure that Daniel will not be alone, that I'll be allowed to, to be with her. And he was calling every day the hospital, but they didn't care. They override him. They did not tell him what they were doing either. He was unknown to all that they did. I also had a nurse working in there who know, who knew me. So how did the people do this? It's, it's another doctor to a doctor. You're not even discussing it with him. Yeah. No privilege. No, no privilege. Yeah, interesting. Um, 
Well, I'm curious, what is, you know, that specific doctor and nurse that you had the relationship with, when they saw what happened to Danielle, are they awake now because of Danielle's death? What's going on? Uh, well, we moved out to New York um, when we were there last year. We all had dinner together. He retired now because he took all the, you know, you know what, he took all of them. Um, and they don't believe that Danielle actually died was her death was murder. They think it was COVID. One of the other neighbors said to me, you know, we it hit all the special needs home and the, the residential homes. And I'm like, it hit all the residential homes. Now that I know, it hit the residential home because there were no advocates. So she was trying to tell me that because Daniel had special needs, that's why Daniel died with COVID. And again, to go back to the fact that they were calling her special needs, they even referred to Danielle as having cognitive impairment and Daniel has a history of mental retardation in her medical records, that is a discriminatory bias because in 2010, Obama signed into law, in federal law, that they will never refer to a patient as mentally retarded. They will only refer to them as special needs. So in her chart, in the ER, they were referring to her with a history of mental retardation, which is untrue. So... I mean, there's so many ways we could sue, so many ways we could bring justice in all, I mean, at least 10 different ways I would think that that I, I could, you know, do something here that break every law, that broke every law. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's 100% true. I mean, we found out that the Americans with Disabilities Act doesn't even apply once a disabled person is dead. So you would think that you could bring an action for disability rights violations, you know, no advocate strapping down to the bed and, but it's, you can't do that. Um, Cindy, do you have any comment about the, the informed consent violations? Well, just as you have pointed out, I mean, we weren't informed of anything either. And they just really did what they wanted to do. And when I think about how they played on people's emotions, um, I mean, they they built this fear up of COVID just from the start. I mean, you know, that that people were dying of COVID, that the hospitals were full, which was such a lie, which now there's there's information coming out that said, and I actually know of one one nurse that worked in a local hospital around here that said when a doctor that would be on the local news station giving updates. He would say, all, all the all the beds are full. And she was in that hospital. She said they were not full. There was there was not even a floor that had had COVID patients, you know, full of COVID patients. And so there was such a narrative. And I don't I still don't understand how did they get so many people on board to lie? I mean, I do know because of the money incentives that that had to be what was really pulling a lot of these people to to lie in the way that they did yet it just it's so unfathomable doesn't even think that they could have that many people on board to pull this off um, well i i agree i mean there were humans you know, we you were mentioning cindy about one uh, that we know of locally i mean and and you know because we've spent some time on the phone with people who have lost other disabled you realize, you know, there is that spirit of collectivism that these people in the hospital think they're doing society a favor because 
disabled people are non-contributing members of society. That's why, you know, this has been going on for a long time. COVID just exposed it. And, you know, we are all one car accident away from being disabled. So if you think this doesn't apply to you, believe me, they're coming after all of us, you know, in the population reduction agenda, they're coming after all of us. They just, they took the ones that um, uh, they can excuse, excuse away first, the disabled and the elderly. And, you know, I want to switch gears just a little bit here and talk about amnesty, because both of you know that uh, former feds came out with the first amnesty program a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was blown away by that. I'm going to have um, Don, play. Don, we're going to do number six first, and then we'll bring up the amnesty slide. So there's a clip that I'm going to have Don play that that Cindy found just the other day. I really like it because it sets up the discussion on amnesty. Then I'm going to have Don bring up an amnesty slide and we'll comment on that. But go ahead and play the clip, Don. Mistakes Were Not Made, An Anthem for Justice by Margaret Anna Alice. The Armenian Genocide was not a mistake. Holdemore was not a mistake. The Final Solution was not a mistake. The Great Leap Forward was not a mistake. The Killing Fields were not a mistake. Name your genocide. It was not a mistake. That includes the Great Democide of the 2020s. To imply otherwise is to give them the out they are seeking. It was not botched. It was not bungled. It was not a blunder. It was not incompetence. It was not lack of knowledge. It was not spontaneous mass hysteria. The planning occurred in plain sight. The planning is still occurring in plain sight. The philanthropaths bought the science. The modelers projected the lies. The testers concocted the crisis. The NGOs leased the academics. The scientists fabricated the findings. The mouthpieces spewed the talking points. The organizations declared the emergency. The governments erected the walls. The departments rewrote the rules. The governors quashed the rights. The politicians passed the laws. The bankers installed the control grid. The stooges laundered the money. The DAD placed the orders. The corporations fulfilled the contracts. The regulators approved the solution. The laws shielded the contractors. The agencies ignored the signals. The behemoths consolidated the media. The psychologists crafted the messaging. The propagandists chanted the slogans. The fact chokers smeared the dissidents. The censors silenced the questioners. The jackboots stomped the dissenters. The tyrants summoned, the puppeteers jerked, the puppets danced, the colluders implemented, the doctors ordered, the hospitals administered. The menticiders scripted, the bamboozled bleated, the totalitarianized bullied, the covidians tattled, parents surrendered, the good citizens believed and forgot. 
This was calculated, this was formulated, this was focus grouped, this was articulated, this was manufactured, this was falsified, this was coerced, this was inflicted, this was denied. We were terrorized, we were isolated, we were gaslit, we were dehumanized, we were wounded, we were killed. Don't let them get away with it. All right, so this is right out of former Fed's website on the left-hand side. I'm going to read that, and then I'm, I'm going to ask Rebecca and Cindy for you to both comment on it. And you know, my comments are on the right-hand side, but it, those don't matter right now. So they called this the Humanity Restoration Panel. This is part of their amnesty program that they uh, outlined about three weeks ago. It says the Humanity Restoration Pan Panel will oversee the amnesty and leniency program to review the accounts of medical professionals who relied on government incentivized treatment protocols to the detriment of their patients. Healthcare providers may, upon the granting of a recommendation by the Humanity Restoration Panel, seek to avoid criminal prosecution for violations of criminal law in the administering of drugs, vaccines, and gene therapies without the informed consent of human patients by confessing his or her role in such illegal and improper activities, fully cooperating with enforcement agencies and meeting other specific conditions. This would include violations of all state, federal, and international laws under the Nuremberg Code, Helsinki Protocols, and others. All right, so Rebecca, you first. What is your reaction to amnesty for doctors and nurses with the murders that happened during COVID? No, there's no amnesty. They don't deserve amnesty. They don't. And for any organization, to support amnesty is part of the problem. They are part of the problem. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, amnesty does not apply in a situation like this. Consider, let's say that somebody robbed a bank, just take it to the ridiculous, and the person did not know that they robbed the bank. Okay, <laughs> so that means it was a mistake, right? They didn't know. All right, yeah. so now if somebody robbed a bank, they didn't know. And so now the government offers them amnesty. And so then they say, yes, I did rob the bank. I didn't know. Okay, so now what's the next thing that happens with amnesty? Do they have to give the money back that they stole or not? Well, of course, right? Because that's that's called <laughs> choice and consequence. So even if there was amnesty, you still have a consequence. God's economy requires a consequence. But amnesty at this point in the game, um, I'll comment more after Cindy comments, but it it makes absolutely no sense. I mean, COVID was 39 months long. So now mm -hmm. you have people killing people for 39 months in a row and all of a sudden amnesty? It makes mm -hmm. zero sense. Cindy, go ahead. Your thoughts? I, I am just... I'm appalled to think that an organization like former Freds would even suggest that amnesty could be allowed. I, I just, I can't imagine. I mean, when we first um, encountered former Freds shortly after we lost Grace, I actually thought that they, they were going to fight for us and cared about us, you know, as a family who lost our daughter and then other families that lost their moms, dads, husbands, wives, children. And what I see now when they're offering this, 
they are they are not for the families they're for themselves mm -hmm. offering yeah. amnesty is, is a slap in the face for all of us who lost our children and loved yes. ones that's what it is it's it's no more than a huge slap in the face these doctors and nurses these white coat killers need to be held accountable it is not a mistake. What they did was not a mistake, as that video points out. There was intention. Willfully. And the people, willfully, right. It's, it's, no it's, way. Uh, it, there's no way amnesty applies to this. Amnesty applies to a mistake. And just so that people understand the, the difference between um, it, it, repentance so repentant, they're playing on this idea that, well, shouldn't we offer people grace? Well, of course. Shouldn't we want them to repent? Of course. I mean, if all the doctors and nurses repented, it would hit the mark 100% because why? It would stop the behavior. That's the goal is stop the behavior. Repentance stops the behavior. But if they repent, they still have a consequence. Repentance <clears throat> does not take away the consequence. They still chose. So there's still a consequence. So this business of amnesty, it only applies to mistakes. It definitely does not apply here. How can you have, you know, you think about um, using remdesivir and ventilators. So those, you know, 90% plus of the patients died when they had a ventilator remdesivir combination. So after, after four or five weeks in the hospital, would isn't that's when amnesty applied because you'd wake up then you realize oh my gosh this is killing all my patients i got to do something different right mm -hmm. but yes. not not after it's over that's ridiculous you kept killing the entire time after you knew better all right um enough on enough on that i want to we just have a couple more questions and i want to go to don slide 12 will introduce you know so the question is what can people do and Rebecca, you've chosen to do a number of different things, and I want you to speak to those. And then I'll, I'm going to have Cindy talk about what we're doing. And then I want to give people some hope with what can they do once you wake up to the fact that you lost a loved one, either through a hospital murder or the bioweapon, what can you do? All right, so go ahead and talk about your your program here, Rebecca. It's really, it's really unique and awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um... The reason why I started Death by Hospital Protocol was in honor of my daughter, number one. And we weren't getting any justice. Like I was involved with former feds and it was going nowhere. And I decided I had to do something. I had to do something to wake people up. And as a service to all Americans, I would like for people to put their stories on the website. But more than their stories is the hospital, the doctor's names, the nurse's names, and their social media um, pages, because this is the only way we could get justice is through the social media by showing the world who they are. They need to be known. These are assassins. These are not doctors. We should never call them doctors and nurses. These are white coast assassins. And until we, we until the injustice system give us justice, I will keep a database of all these doctors and nurses. And hopefully we will get justice one day. But I'm asking people to please put the hospital name on there and put the doctors, put a picture of your loved one before they went in and then a picture of what they look like. I mean, some of these pictures, I can't even look at it. It's, it's horrifying what these nurses and doctors did to the patients. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, I can't look at them. 
So the world needs to see that. And Americans need a place to check before they go into a doctor or office or before they go into a hospital. They need somewhere to check. And I believe that if we could cut off the funding, if we could cut off any assistance by stopping people from going there, maybe they would change. Maybe they would wake up. Or maybe they will become fearful that I don't want my picture on that website. And I'm hoping to God that this website will really be a tool to deter them from continuing to kill. Outstanding. Where did you come up with the idea? Oh, I believe you and I did an interview um, together in January of last year. And um, uh, the person asked me, so what am I going to do now? And I woke up a couple of days later saying, I have to let the world see the people who did this to Danielle. And I have to let the world see. I mean, every state have hospitals. And that's how, you know, I believe God gave me the idea to do this. And of course, it was after watching um, Simon Wiesenthal movie way before COVID happened. He was known as a Nazi hunter. And he dictated, he wrote everything down. He wrote their numbers. He had drawings of their faces. And when the war was over, he went after them with the Mossad, with different people help him. And he brought 1,100 families justice. And he is my inspiration for doing this. Um, tied together, yes, Simon Wiesenthal. I'm going to be the nurses and the COVID killers, the white coat assassins, hunter. I'm going to do that. That's fantastic. Uh, Don, can you bring up the last slide then? And then, Cindy, I'll have you comment about what what we're working on. And I certainly want you to, uh, in in uh, the comment about what we're working on, bring up the fact that you just did your first Substack that was released yesterday, and it was awesome. So go ahead, Cindy. Well, what we're doing is really just we're fighting for grace and for all the other people that have died by having our landmark case. Um, we had all of our financial things set aside for grace to take care of grace. And so we've been able to go forward with our case because of that, because now we don't have grace to leave all of our money for. And so God blessed us in that way. But then on top of that, we are, trying to help people realize that this is still happening and yet the most important thing is to open hearts to to the lord which is really what grace did her whole life she shined for him she lived for her jesus and we're really trying to carry her mission on um we pray that we will get justice for grace in our case that's coming up this november november 4th of 2024 Yet in the meantime, we've got to be saving people's lives by sharing her story and, and, and same thing with Danielle's story and all the other people's stories out there. If we can save just one life, it's, it's worth what we're working on. Um, what Satan meant for evil, God has been using for good. And I really believe, you know, Grace is, is with him and Travis is with him too and um, he's using our girls. I really, truly believe that. Yeah, I, I, I agree hundred percent. So uh, I mentioned Cindy did, uh, and Rebecca also has a sub stack. We have a sub stack. Uh, Cindy wrote for the sub stack 
for her first one was released yesterday. It was outstanding. Uh, Rebecca has been writing for a few months now. Rebecca mentioned about social media. There's always something we can do is the bottom line. Not everybody's given the same platform or has the same time available, but there's always something we can do. And social media is, is a huge opportunity. We have to come to grips with this. What we are exposing has nothing to do with COVID. COVID was used to wake our two families up, but it has nothing to do with COVID. Other things that people can do, you can file, once you get the records, the key, you get the records. It's really important that you get the records. We have a resource tab on Grace's website of a group in Tennessee that will analyze records for a cost. Um, you can you can do it on your own. Uh, there, it's it's not as hard as what you think once you get into it. You can file a police report. Um, Rebecca just fi is filing. Did you file it now with the DA in New York? Rebecca? And not, not this yet because they want me to list it in a certain order um, and they want me to make a police report. First, the police will make an arrest and then they will inv investigate. So now I'm going after the sheriff to file it with the sheriff. My husband okay. spoke to one, one of his friends who knows the sheriff. So I have all the evidence laid out. It's, you know, my everything that we've been involved when I, I involved with, I see that you know, it seems like they're all in on it, but we still have to press. We have to press through and see if one DA picks up on these murder charges, it can, as Matt Truella, who wrote the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates, points out, it starts with one lesser magistrate saying, no, I am not going to fall trapped to these illegal laws anymore. I'm going to stand on what the truth is. And that starts a domino effect. So these are all things we can do. It starts with getting the records. Now, because of Grace's civil case, we opened up the door to battery claims. So they're not just medical malpractice claims anymore. So now more attorneys are going to be willing to take on cases because battery claims do not have a state statute limitation for damages. Uh, then one thing that these two ladies, we talked about this at length. And so we're going to see how this goes. They have, I, I know my schedule is going to be intense this year because of the lawsuit. So I'm, I'm kind of the fifth leg of the stool. We have four attorneys and I'm the fifth leg of the stool. And, and, you know, they need my involvement because of my knowledge of the case. And so they have said that they would be guest hosts of deprogramming if they can get some other mothers for justice to come out and want to uh, share their story and what they are doing. So if any of you are mothers for justice, you want to share your story and have Cindy and Rebecca um, as my guest host interview you and then talk about what you're doing, specifically doing to take action, that's what they're after. And so, Rebecca, we're going to have, Don, I'll have you put this in the show notes. I'll email it to you afterward. So deathbyhospitalprotocol at gmail.com. That's Rebecca's email. So deathbyhospitalprotocol at gmail.com. You send her just a brief description, and then um, her and Cindy will get a hold of you, and we will book accordingly, assuming that there is interest in something like that. There should be. I mean, there's. Uh, I know there's lot. There's a lot of moms for justice for sure. There's dads for justice too. But um, the the mothers, you know, mothers have a unique ability 
that uh, dads, dads have an ability to, but it just comes from a completely different angle. And I think that Mothers for Justice can be something that really takes off. Uh, any, I'm going to uh, do a wrap up and then I'll come back to both of you for final comments. But do you have any comment about Mothers for Justice in that light, Rebecca first, and then Cindy? Well, I think that, as you said, we have a different intuition like i knew right away that they killed danielle we went right along to the hospital to get the records right away um as a mother you you have the ability to protect that child to take care of that child to know when something is wrong and to speak up i mean you have seen stories where mothers lift up you know trucks that that went over their child we will go through lengths to save our child to fight for our child and now that they're gone, it's not going to stop us because our child lives on in our heart and their memory and their love will never leave us till we die. And we will keep fighting for them to expose this. We will not be silent. Very well, very well said. Cindy, any comment about Mothers for Justice? Rebecca, you just said it all. You really, you really put it into the right words. The ties that we have with our children will never be broken. And we're here to fight for them and fight for other people's children too. We can be their voices if they're if they're not able to be be out there and talk. We're we're here for them too. Yep. I'm gonna do a, a brief closing and then I'll come back to both of you for the final word. And you know, those of you who have been watching deprogramming know that I just about always close with a gospel message. And today is uh, no different, but it's different in that it's unique. Cindy and I are reading a book right now called uh, Assault on the Image of God. And when I say we're reading it, Cindy is a very blessed reader. So she reads why I listen and it's, it's a gift. Anyway, this morning before I left to come to the shop, for this interview, um, we're in chapter three and what's going on the author, we know the author personally, his name is David Fiorazzo. And interestingly, he had Cindy and I write chapter nine of the book. So if you get this book, Assault on the Image of God, you'll see something very unique, which is chapter nine is written by Cindy and I. Uh, it's It was quite a gift and honor to be able to do that. Anyway, we're in chapter three and he um, defines the Christian biblical worldview. And so I'm going to go through how he defines it and, and then tie this into what I believe is going on. So he says, a biblical worldview can be defined as believing in the following. Moral absolutes exist. The source of truth is the Bible, God's inspired word. God is creator of all things. The Bible is accurate in all the principles it teaches. Salvation is by grace alone through faith in Christ. Jesus preexisted with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life on earth, died on a cross, and was resurrected three days later. Believers have to have a duty to witness. Satan is real and not a symbol. Heaven and hell are actual places. And last, God is sovereign, all-powerful maker of the universe who still rules creation today. All right, so that, that list, he goes, this chapter three is a chapter of statistics so far. And what he goes 
into is how few people believe this. You know, the percentage words were hard to even grasp. I think the pastors in America who are actually preaching that biblical worldview, I think, was less than 15 percent. And, you know, we left the church that we were involved in because of this, because of incorrect preaching of Romans 13 and 14. And, you know, we live in a time that is urgent. You know, this, the author so far in this book is wondering, is God, you know, is he giving us, did he give us COVID, for example, or allow COVID so that it would wake Christians up um, and to repentance? Or is God already past judgment and we're just entering into the period of tribulation? Tribulation, And I don't know the answer to that. I'm not a prophet, but I looked at what did God warn Sodom and Gomorrah with before he destroyed the cities? Okay, so this is the same thing we're in in America today. So this is in Genesis chapter 18. And Abraham is pleading with God for Sodom. And God said, and it says in verse 17, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I, what I am about to do? So Abraham represents all believers. So is God going to hide from true believers what he's about to do? It seems like he used COVID to wake us up so that we can repent. And so then Abraham realizes that Sodom, I mean, it is a bad, this is bad news what's going on. So he asked God, if there are 50 people, 50 righteous people in the city, will you save it? And God says, yes. And then Abraham realizes, oh my gosh, there's not 50. So he asked, what about 45? And God says, yes. What about 40? Yes. What about 30? Yes. What about 20? Yes. What about 10? So Abraham pleads with God, if I can just find 10 righteous, will you save the city? And God said he would. All right. So that gives us a picture of what we are up against today. And we know that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because Abraham couldn't find even 10 righteous. All right, so get a picture of where we're at today in the entire world. I mean, I'm not familiar with the whole world, but I'm familiar with America. It seems that, I mean, everybody is a zombie. I don't literally mean everybody, but how many people are just going on with life like things haven't changed? I mean, things have changed permanently. We are now awake. If you pay any attention at all, you are awake to what's going on. Anyway, that's uh, that's my closing message. You know, I'll leave that for people to process. Uh, I've been doing podcasts on that message, uh, not specifically this, but I see I see the time is urgent, and you know, I cannot talk about this enough. Uh, because of that urgency. So anyway, back to Rebecca and Cindy for the final word. Rebecca, uh, why don't you go first and then Cindy, and then we'll say goodbye. In reference to what you just spoke about? Well, I mean, you can say with reference to what I spoke about or just anything in general. I just, I'd like to have the guest have the final word. Yeah, well, thank you for inviting me to the show. And also in reference to what you spoke about, I believe that in Abraham times, they didn't have the Bible, but we have the Bible today and God written the book and literally give us, you know, step by step what's going to happen if we don't repent, if we don't change. And in the days of Daniel, you know, here we are, you know, it's going to come a point in time where we either going to bow down to that statue or we're going to be killed. And we have to have the strength and the faith to say, well, I will die 
if God will save me, and if he doesn't, I'm willing to die. And I think that's where we are right now. They are taking our children, they are taking our loved ones, and the enemies at work, you know, and the Bible also says he will speed up, the enemy will speed up in the end days. And you have seen the last four years how things have just sped up, sped up. And people are still in denial. They are in very much in denial. So thank you for doing this. Thank you for explaining God's word to people and letting people know what's going on because we need to be more outspoken about God's word and the truth in his word. Oh, thanks, Rebecca. All right. Cindy, also known as Deer, go ahead. <laughs> I agree. I think that um, this world is so lost and God is trying to open the eyes of his people and those who are blind are not his. And that's where we as disciples are trying to wake up people. Um, we must pray for, for them because there is truly a heaven and a hell and the majority of the people are heading to hell. And I, I think they're being so blinded by a lot of narratives that are out there that are saying, oh, everybody, everybody goes to heaven. And that is not what the Bible says. Like, like Rebecca said, we have the Bible and we need to see what the word says. We need to trust in the people that are sharing the real truth of God's word and not be blinded by those who are trying to deceive us. And Satan has really got his minions working overtime right now. And I think about how and why our girls were taken out. And you think about all the special kids, the special adults that were taken out. They knew their savior and Satan doesn't like that. And a lot of the elderly people, they were wise and they knew who their savior was too. And so the way that he removes the people that are, are able to shed light on the true savior you know, he doesn't want them around because he wants to have his way with them. And if the people can see the loss that we've endured through this disguise of COVID, maybe they'll have, have a heart to open their eyes to what the truth is out there. I mean, I pray to God that they don't have to experience the same thing that we did to have their eyes open because it is not something you wish on anybody is to lose a child or a loved one. Sometimes it's the tragedies that will turn your hearts to the, the one who can bring comfort. But I pray that that's not how their hearts would have to be opened. I, I pray that they can read the stories like on Danielle's website, deathbyhospitalprotocol.com and, and Grace's website. There's so many other families that have lost their loved ones. And if people would just start reading and seeing that we are not just telling a story. We are, we have one of many stories and God wants people to open their, their eyes to him. He's trying to open their eyes to him. And we just have to keep trusting that God's going to use us in the way that he wants to use us and that we are obedient to him. And I, I truly think that God brought us all together for a reason. And I thank him for that. And I, I'm just very grateful and I'm grateful that you actually invited us to come on and share our story because as moms, maybe we could reach some of the other moms that are out there that are hurting and dads too and, and family. Well, I am 
I'm hopeful that that happens because a lot of moms are, I think, are going to reach for amnesty because then there will presumably be a payout, and uh, you know that is not what we need to do. And I, I'm really thankful. I was really looking forward to this, and you know, you know, for good reason. I'm thankful both of you came on. Thanks for thanks for doing this today. Hang on, we'll say goodbye afterward. Don will close us out and we'll talk briefly off screen afterwards. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please stand by for further details. We return you now to your regularly scheduled program.